This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and back again to discuss the latest Georgia State happenings. It's Brady and David. Gentlemen, it has been at least two weeks since we put out an episode and approaching two months since we've done a normal Georgia State focused episode after we had all of our new conference mates on for our Future Belt series. So uh, what's been going on? It's, uh, yeah, like I said, like six, seven weeks. What's been going on? Well, I moved, so that's exciting. Um, it has been a horrible move, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm getting some some furniture looked at, so, you know, you can only do so much in that respect. But, it's you know, ultimately it's going to work out because we're in a really nice area. Um, so, but, you know, moving is obviously stressful, and it's. I'm glad that it was a nice dead period in the... Uh, Obviously, there's no college sports going on right now, um, so that's really helpful. But, you know, moving and just being in a busy time at work has been, you know, let's just say not fun. Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is there's no such thing as a non-horrible move. It's always just death time, and I just absolutely hate it in those those couple of days, so I totally get where you're at. But it's the end of the rainbow, so to say, where you're in the new place, like you say, so... Definitely excited for you on that front. And yeah, I, when I put my headphones on for this as we recorded, it really dawned on me just how long it had been since we'd done a regular one of these because we had done the Future Bet, the Future Belt series the last month. And I was definitely happy to do those because I thought they were good interviews, really got me even more excited for the new members that were coming in. But it's definitely nice to kind of get back into the flow of doing just us again. And so in that respect, I'm ready to kick this thing off. Let's go. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I'm sorry, Jordan, I'll let you go. Um, but it was, it was cool to like hear from the other, uh, you know, some other podcasts from around the belt. And, you know, I, I, it seems like the sentiment around the Sun Belt right now is just really positive for the new additions, both, you know, some of the things I've seen from people who are still in the Sun Belt and some, you know, from the new, you know, schools, fans and stuff that are coming over. Well, and then today, I saw from Chris Vanini at The Athletic, he does the G5 fan survey every uh, offseason. And I think it was 74% of Sunbelt fan respondents rated the state of the Sunbelt at great. And Keith Gill's approval rating went up from like the high teens up into the stratosphere. Everything is bearing out that everyone's really excited. And a I, I, I kind of juxtaposition to that was the section on uh, Conference USA, the highest number on a scale of one to five five being good for their fans of where they were at was a one and i don't think their commissioner judy mcleod uh has similar approval ratings to keith gill either and so kind of like we talked about just kind of a common theme i think it came up when all of the conference usa teams and the james madison team uh you know with the caa kind of being in a similar boat just Going from bad conferences to perceived good conferences where there's a lot of good feelings, it really just feels like a real new era as much as a suggestion of getting four new teams would be. I mean, it really feels like that type of a leap. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how all of that continues to unfold. I definitely think Sunbelt has come out way further on top than any of us would have expected when this whole realignment thing uh, shook off. And of course, there's other movements 
elsewhere in the college athletics landscape that uh, are still happening. But uh, why we're actually here is we have off-season updates from all the major sports at Georgia State. We're going to go ahead and start in the world of basketball as the Sun Belt released the league schedule for the upcoming season last Tuesday. So uh, similar to in years past, they're going to be playing 18 conference games. Uh, but since we have all these new additions, it's going to be the Sun Belt East teams will play each other or for Georgia State's purposes, the Sunbelt East teams will play each other twice, and each Sunbelt East team will play every team in the West except one one time. So the Panthers notably will miss Texas State in the regular season, I believe, for the third consecutive year, which is interesting how that works out. But uh, yeah, opening the Sunbelt play with James Madison, new Sunbelt member, on uh, December 29th. And then closing out the Sunbelt season at James Madison on February 24th before heading down to Pensacola for that conference tournament. So uh, lots to talk about here with these new additions and schedule reshuffling. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts? I really like this schedule. Um, and I think part of why I like it is because it feels kind of more natural, like a little bit of the other conference, like the Power Five conferences schedules. You know, I thought the pods were great. I did. You know, it's nice that you can take a school and have them just go to a state, you know, play one school on a Thursday and then the other school in the state or, you know, kind of if there weren't two schools in the same state, kind of around there. But, you know, that's not necessarily what challenges, you know, schools. And, you know, I think having to go to Virginia and James Madison and then going over to Alabama, you know, that's not what's actually happening. But, you know, Georgia State is going to have to host schools from different sides of the conference. Then they're going to have to go travel to different sides of the conference. You know, like they are making a trip to Louisiana um, around the same time, the 5th and the 7th of January. But a lot of the other schools... You know, they're going to be going to, you know, Old Dominion and then on the road to Georgia Southern after that. And then, you know, going to App State and then over to Marshall and, you know, things like that. Coastal Carolina to Arkansas State. Like that's, you know, that's a big road trip to have in two days. And I think, you know, it's really going to kind of test some of the metal that this team and, you know, other conference teams are going to have because they're able to do these longer road trips. And you know, you're going to really see what teams are kind of made of that way. Yeah, I do like it just as an observer of college basketball. And like David said, it does mirror what a lot of bigger conferences do to where you aren't going to one state. Um, And certainly that got made harder because even if you paired two of the Virginia teams, it was going to leave out one of them. And then maybe you could pair that one with Marshall, but then App State kind of pair with Coastal-ish. Like that was always a kind of convenient or in the Carolinas, but it's not like Boone and Conway are particularly close. And so it felt like a nice time to kind of do away with the old model that worked really well when you kind of had paired off teams in every state. Uh, that's not the case anymore. And so moving to this, I think I'm fine with, uh, we might have a different tune. We're looking at that January 28th section of the schedule where Georgia State goes from Old Dominion to Statesboro and the same weekend and then the next weekend they go to Boone and then they go to Marshall. Uh, I guess it balances out because right after that, uh, the four games after the four game road trip are a four game homestand against Southern, Southern and Marshall. Uh, Yeah. I think that the Eastern balance again, it's kind of the same with football, even though there aren't divisions, it still gives that sense of you're playing the teams closest to you and and it continues to build those rivalries. Division 
even though all that the division is used for in the basketball schedule is for the scheduling purposes. I think obviously we know that there's more to it than just that. And I think if it was a schedule that somehow you're playing one of the teams from like, you know, like our state or state more times than you're a neighboring state or just a closer location. I think we'd look at that and go, that doesn't really make sense. And so in that regard, I think it makes sense to continue to tie it into the divisions, fostering it in the same kind of in the same way that football is. And uh, yeah, the Jordan talked about it. The Texas state's not on the schedule this year. And obviously moving hard season to season, we won't know those schedules come out, but I think it's a bummer because Texas state has been a good program the last few years, won the regular season, both times under the new coach, Terrence Johnson. Uh, and so that's going to be a missed opportunity for what's likely going to be a decent team in the rankings to boost your resume against. But I guess we can say it's progress because at least here, this year is a scheduled no game. It's not they moved the schedule around because COVID meant we played a different schedule or COVID literally canceled the game when they were supposed to play last year. And so I guess the progress is this game is not happening, but it's not supposed to be happening. And so we're continuing on the track towards everything just being completely normal again for this athletic season. Hey, I, you know, I'll take that. I absolutely will take that. It's a bummer because, you know, we're talking about two of the better teams in the conference. And like you said, like that is an opportunity for either team to either pat their resume or improve their resume. If the team is not performing how they probably want to be. But, you know, I will again echo your thoughts. Like the more we move away from, you know, those COVID cancellations and those COVID reschedulings, the better. So yeah, I, I will take that but also fix it for next year. And I got to say, I like being the welcoming committee for one of the teams, you know, playing James Madison in the opener in Atlanta, obviously in all of the fall sports they've already played. So it's kind of a formality at that point. It's not actually an introduction to the school or anything like that. They all have already been playing and they played, they will have played the football game a couple of weeks prior to that. So like that, you know, Lots of rich storylines there, whether whichever way it goes, but especially if uh, Georgia State can get another one over on, well, I guess get some revenge on Byington after the way that that rivalry with uh, Georgia Southern and him and the head, as the head coach kind of ended with uh, those two wins for Southern on the floor of the sports arena. But uh, the other thing, uh, leaving the conference schedule for a second, uh, the thing that came out recently schedule was that Wofford is coming to the new Convocation Center on December 10th, joining Georgia Tech on November 12th and a to-be-determined home game against Island as the no home games along with that multi-team tournament that Georgia State is hosting with Eastern Kentucky, Texas A&M Commerce, and UNC Asheville. And, you know, I just got to say, aside from just, I think it's a great, the exact type of team Georgia State should want to be scheduling a non-conference. It does continue to just kind of spell out that it's going to be tough to earn the type of home record used to a piling up. And I'm not saying it's all been because they've been playing bad teams uh, when they've been able to win as much as they've been able to do in the sports arena. But like, I just felt out there that's the six teams that we know they're playing at home. If it's a three, three split in those games, that wouldn't necessarily be an unexpected result. And that would be especially shocking for non-conference schedule. Even most seasons with the exception of last year, where there were some home losses that piled up even just three losses in a regular season home schedule for Georgia state hasn't been the norm at all. And you got three teams coming in at least, and the schedule's not fully released for the non-conference that are come going to come in and test you really hard. But I, you know, 
we kind of said the same thing uh, with Georgia State and their schedule last year a little bit. Like, I think it wasn't as good as this year, but like they're they are not shy about scheduling teams, whether it be the sports arena, whether it be the new convocation center, you know, whether it be trying to go on the road. I think it's been a challenge for them to get teams in the new excuse me, to get teams to come to Atlanta. Obviously, you know, they were like you said, lights out at the sports arena, but. At the same time, though, Georgia State has always put it out there that they want to schedule the best of the best. They, you know, they are not afraid. They've gone to Cameron. They've gone to Georgetown. I mean, they're not that good right now, but you know, they've gone to Kentucky. They've gone to Alabama multiple times. Auburn. You know, all of these schools. So, you know, I think I like that they're playing the peer institutions in the uh, mid-major market. You know, the Waffords. That's, you know, that's really, really helpful for Georgia State, especially because, you know, like last year, they had a really nice opportunity to have a good net or a good RPI. And, you know, because of COVID, obviously, and because of some, you know, personnel decisions early in the year and some injuries, obviously, to LEL, you know, they they were never able to kind of capitalize on their schedule and you know we saw the result of it and we talked about that result when they were like the best 16th seed you know ever uh maybe not really but but you know what i mean like it they they had a schedule that would have allowed them to be much higher you know to avoid playing a gonzaga in the first round but they didn't take care of business against rhode island they didn't take care of business against richmond and you know it's always good when they still continue to schedule and try to at least put themselves in a position to avoid something like that. And you got the two for one with Auburn. Auburn's going to be coming to the sports arena next season. is going to Auburn this year, and then they'd be going again the year after that. And, you know, I just think, especially as that's, that goes, if you can get programs like Auburn to want to come to Atlanta and play, do as many of those two-for-ones as you can manage. I mean, obviously, you're hoping for home-and-homes against the Rhode Islands of the world, and that's what you're getting. And I'm presuming at this point, just without any you know, knowledge of the contract or anything, that the Wofford is probably going to be a series or a home-and-home home or whatever, and that Georgia State's going to head up to Spartanburg for a non-conference game next year or whenever. But obviously, those are the ones you can get home-and-homes for. It's a lot harder, especially as Georgia State's still trying to get to the echelon they want to get to in college basketball past just making the tournament every season as a goal. Um, when they get to that point, you can talk about getting teams like Auburn to do straight up home and homes with you uh, or even just standalone home games, but that's not the case now. And so as long as you're still building that part of the reputation, I'd say absolutely continue to schedule those. And so the first leg of that is that Georgia State's playing Auburn on December 2nd this year. And just like with football, I think Auburn's a great because, you know, proud fan base, especially in basketball this past year, they were exceptionally good. Uh, football is work in progress under Brian Harson, and the natives aren't necessarily as happy as far as those results, but a super travelable game. And you know, December 2nd holidays aren't really on yet. And so kind of a doable for a lot of people. And I'd ho- recommend people definitely do that, especially if they didn't do that for the football game this past season, just because I think it's a really, really easy trip. And obviously, hoping it probably goes better than last time with Auburn. That game didn't end up getting close, and LaRon Smith got his revenge on Georgia State, so to speak, at the beginning of, was that 2017? 2017-18 season? Yeah, I think so. I think we were there for that. Beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful place. But uh, 
yeah, not a not a great basketball game. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some more basketball news. Jermaine Mann has been granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA to play this season, despite his transfer to Georgia State from Vanderbilt being his second transfer as a D1 athlete. The six foot six wing from Hampton, Georgia, will have two seasons of eligibility. So that's some good transfer news for the Panthers. What do you guys think? For me, I mean, we're still far enough out from the season. We don't really know how everything's going to shake out with rotations, but knowing this news is the comfort to my starting five for the first game against whoever the first exhibition is going to be against because it was kind of this looming thing because I wasn't sure, you know, if he was available, I felt like he was probably going to be one of the starters just because we've heard a lot about what he might offer defensively, especially. And so I think it offers a lot of stability. You've got three trainers who have played minutes at good programs. And so you kind of have those three and you've also got just a no one who's really got that like top end experience, but a lot of guys who have dipped their feet in the water, whether it's guys like Evan Johnson, Colin Moore, uh, Jaheim Hudson. And so you, you've got kind of a baseline floor that you would have hoped that these transfers were going to be able to set for you. And then the other guys can continue to grow as, you know, underclassmen or underclassmen returning into upperclassmen. And so for me, I mean, you look at Dewan Odom got recruited as the point guard. I think it's probably fair to assume he's going to start at point guard. I think Brandon Tucker also going to start at one of the guard spots. I think we honestly look at the Trufishman, Big E, part two, probably getting a starting spot at center just because of where everything's at and just the size that he offers. Uh, I think I would probably pencil in Jimmy Mann at uh, one of the spots right now. And maybe that fourth spot's kind of up in the air and maybe it's going to be something that can be a little bit changeable depending on matchup and all but like i say i think having the transfers known that they're all eligible and they're all going to be contributing is a big factor um i will plead ignorance on why it has been allowed um i never really know what these type of thing my rule of thumb is basically if it's good for the state i'm good with it and it also benefits georgia state here so doubly good for it as far yeah i agree um i'm definitely uh in the camp of hey i don't understand why this is allowed but let's you know let's rock and roll and you know i agree with your assessment but i i kind of want to not necessarily ask but you know i feel like looking at this roster right now there is a i feel like there's a potential for there to be a lot of variance you know um i i haven't really been keeping up with my college basketball previews and stuff like that i'm sure bill Connolly's or whoever it is has got something dropping on georgia on the sunbelt basketball scene like soon ish um but it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if people were a little bit down on georgia state because it kind of feels like there's either this inexperience on the roster from the coach lanier holdovers you know the guys who stayed and then there's a bunch of transfers and you know that's always you know we talked about it with i think what texas state football like that's always a high volatility type situation um but you know i think with the way that georgia state has kind of operated the last you know five six years it's probably going to be fine and you know whatever fine means fine might not be the sunbelt title game i recognize that you know but i i still think that the ta- there is still a level of talent that is on this team that is the same as the talent that was on last year's team the same that was the talent level that was on the year prior's team you know and you know obviously the more players like man that you have the more players 
you know, you know, you mentioned Dwan Odom, you know, you mentioned Brendan Tucker, like those guys, they're all new guys. Yes, but they're all still talented basketball players. So the more options you have at your disposal, the better your team is probably going to be. So it's good that Georgia State has, you know, a bunch of guys who are transferring in and you have guys who are going to be taking a next step. And, you know, maybe a couple of freshmen who could already have been playing college basketball last year just from a basketball IQ and a basketball experience standpoint. You know, it's it's good that you have that. And I like I think Georgia State, regardless of where they kind of fall this season, the more bodies that they have, the closer they will be to achieving that high point of that variance, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's something I'm interested. That's something I'm interested to find out as we get closer to actually having games. Obviously, Coach Hunter famously kept his rotations very, very tight. Especially some years, it felt like it was as little as like seven guys a game, and you'd have guys on the court the entire game. And Coach Lanier, when the team was fully at strength, wanted it to be that the depth strength and that leaning on playing ten guys in a game and getting guys on and off the court and having them play really committed shifts, but making sure they stay fresh. And I think the clue is in the fact that Georgia state still has a lot of that depth with these newcomers they've added in. And so I think that if I had to guess, it's going to be another situation where we're going to see that the depth is continued to be counted on, but I don't know yet, you know, maybe we're going to get into the season and it's going to be that Jonas is more like coach Hunter that's the exciting part for me of when there's a new coach in charge of seeing what ways you deviate. And I think it's a little different this time for us because three years is a long time. Their era was so much shorter than the coach Hunter era, you know, almost what, just under half of it. And so I think when coach Lanier arrived, we were so used to the 40 minutes of zone, the short rotations, everything about, you know, coach Hunter being boisterous on the sideline. Everything felt particularly jarring when it was done differently under Coach Nier. And I feel like that part of it's going to be a little bit different now because I don't think we got just as used to some of the ways things were done. And I don't know that the differences are going to be that jarring either. I don't think we're going to go back to 40 minutes of zone um, or a lot of the changes. Like, I don't think it's going to be complete wash. And so, yeah, I mean, just a college basketball fan observer, the styles and how everyone runs everything differently and just all the minutiae even like just to the tiniest degree coaches do things differently it always i'm always interested to see how the new coach comes in and changes things and another part of that just the new teams that are coming in and i'm interested to see or new teams that haven't really followed that closely in college basketball and kind of seeing what their styles are and so it's all part of that same thing that i think is really in the fabric of what makes college basketball so interesting to me and why I always come back to it maybe more than other, any other sport, because there are just so many contrasting styles. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're pretty close to finding out what Jonas's style is. Can I just say that I'm so glad that the Sunbelt is expanding and the specifically the teams that are being added to the Sunbelt, because I don't know, it's just, it feels like we're getting a whole bunch of different types of teams you know, and we might not know there's be like super familiar with their styles, but it's just it's exciting. It's just an exciting time to be a Sunbelt sports fan. Yeah, and definitely got to use this time to replug those interviews we did the last month, the Future Belt series with all the new schools. Check those out. You get another glimpse from each of the different podcasts we talked to about those styles and what those fan bases are going to be bringing to the new league. Yeah, that's going to be exciting to see for sure. We are what now? Uh 
three months or so short of the uh, first exhibition games, if I'm remembering correctly, thereabouts. So we'll uh, we'll see how that shapes up in a brand new arena to boot. It's going to be an exciting, exciting time. But let's go ahead and move on to talk about baseball. We do have some news to report on that front. Chad Bell has been named the pitching coach, replacing Matt Taylor, who left to take the position of minor league pitching coordinator in the Atlanta Braves organization. Bell signed with the Texas Rangers in 2009 after they drafted him out of Walters State in the 14th round of the MLB draft. He ended up making 31 appearances at the major league level with the Detroit Tigers between 2017 and 2018 before spending time in the Atlanta Braves minor league system and finishing his pro career in the K. BO in South Korea. So, uh, gentlemen, any thoughts on Chad Bell? I guess we should start with the obvious one, given me and David watch entirely too much baseball. Um, the name Chad Bell ring any kind of, well, I don't want to say ring any bells. I really didn't want to do that. But were you reminded of that name at all going back through just random games you've turned on in the last five years? Because he played for the Tigers for two seasons. You secondarily follow the white Sox a little bit because they're also in your city the name does sound familiar and they're in the same was this someone as a player you remembered uh, the name definitely sounds familiar um like a very low just like a hey that's a guy there's chad type of player but i couldn't sit here and like pick out like a specific memory or something like i'm not talking about like a guy who threw like you know a whole bunch of immaculate innings or whatever, like through really hard or something. So I'm I'm not like picking up any of those vibes, but you know, I guess this is just a reminder that I know way too many baseball players. So there's too many players in my head. Yeah. I don't know that I ever watched a game where he pitched, uh, but I can't categorically rule it out because I've just kind of scrolled on random baseball games from time to time with MLB TV. And so I feel like it's possible. And, and, I guess just a roundabout way of saying, like, it's cool having a former major league pitcher, obviously going through where he did from getting drafted in the late 2000s, all the way getting up, finally making major league appearances in 2017 with the Tigers. Like, that's a lot of hard work and fairly young coach as well. So young mind, someone who's recently been in a couple of, you know, the Braves system, obviously, where he ended his career, I would watch for a good system. but. I'm also interested what came from time in Korea. Obviously, the KBO is really big over there, and there's been players who have come over here and you know, a fair amount of Americans who have gone the other way over to Asia to play. And so wondering if there was any kind of lessons he took from his time there because there's always stuff to learn about the game and the KBO and MB. The philosophies don't always line up, but that's not to say either are wrong, but it's just a new perspective to maybe have learned and be interested to see where he takes that. And I think when you look at it, it kind of fits into the same type of uh, what you got when you had Matt Taylor here as a pitching coach. And so it seems like a like for like, and just kind of interested to see where things go with the pitching staff under new management. Yeah. You know, obviously we are not Georgia state baseball players. I know shocking guys. Um, but as a fan of baseball, I'm also really curious as to what he brought over from Korea specifically because he pitched during the pandemic over there. Um, and you know, obviously just, just different country, but you know, we, we, we often look at American sports from the American lens, which is fine, but you know, these games that we like and pour over are played in other countries. 
excuse me, like, you know, it wasn't until a few years ago, I think like five, six years ago, did I learn that Japan has college football. And like, you know, when we think of college football, we think of the SEC, we think of, you know, those big uh, Wisconsin running backs, those big Iowa linebackers and, you know, linemen and stuff like that. And they don't have that in Japan when it comes to their college football, but they still play the same game. And, you know, especially something as idiosyncratic as pitching, you know, I think going to a different culture and, you know, immersing yourself in a culture that's completely different than the one that you're in. I, I truthfully wonder what he's picked up and what he's going to impart on some of these Georgia state pitchers. You know, I think the pitching kind of let the Panthers down last year during that bad stretch. Yes. You know, but that doesn't mean that there weren't bright spots on the pitching staff. So, you know, I'm really excited to kind of dig in and just see like what he's going to bring over to the team and, you know, what kind of philosophy changes he's going to impart that, you know, Taylor didn't really want to do. And just, you know, how he, Chad Bell, makes it his staff that he's kind of maturing and nurturing and growing. All right. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think I'm going to echo a lot of your points, David and Brady, about the uh, difference in the international play style. I know uh, we could probably talk about Japanese college football in a complete, I don't know, 20, 30 minute tangent. So I'll, I'll spare all of our listeners that we'll go ahead and move on to the MLB draft. The Panthers had some action here. So uh, Griffin Cheney taken in the ninth round by the Texas Rangers. His slot at 259th overall makes him the third highest MLB draft pick in program history after David Buchanan went in the seventh round in 2010 and Hunter Gaddis's fifth round selection in 2019. Shaney was the lone Panther drafted, but a potential future Panther 2022 commit Christian Jackson out of Dutchtown High School in Hampton, Georgia, was taken by the Atlanta Braves in the 19th round. So productive draft for the Panthers. What are your thoughts? I do want to clarify something because this draft by Cheney is really good compared to those other drafts. Like, I, I don't want to take anything away from Buchanan or Gaddis, but those are 40 round drafts. The draft no longer is 40 rounds. It's 20 rounds. So, you know, this is still a really good spot for Cheney to be in. I just I had to say that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that he'd been a contributor for a few seasons now, but I think he really stepped up the production this year and was really leading the lineup along with Max Ryerson. And I think he really, you can truly say, earned his way into this draft board and got into the Rangers eyes and got this opportunity and kind of peeling back the inside baseball of it all. Uh, The Texas Rangers had a fascinating MLB draft. Uh, The the MLB draft is geared in a way that is unlike any of the other leagues, and it's not even close. Um, There's a certain amount of budget that every team gets to sign their players and they can only go 5% over it. And so they don't actually have any set number they pay any of their draft players they're just a slot out for each of the rounds and the rangers went under their slot for the first pick getting a former vanderbilt pitcher kamar rocker and then they went presumably very overdraft over slot to get a high school pitcher named brock porter and so the reality is is they needed to continue to fill out their draft with what are called senior signs where Guys like Grishy, who are senior-based, fifth-year seniors, who the dirty reality of the business with college baseball is that guys who are seniors don't have another option, whether you know high school players can choose to honor their high school uh, their college commitments and go to their four-year university or go to a junior college, or college players can leave as juniors, and then if they don't want to 
go if they they can get a better value situation, whatever, they have the option to go back as seniors. And so college seniors and fifth year seniors don't have that leverage. And so, you know, they're doing all those negotiations. So the number will come out after we record the pod, but Griffin Cheney probably won't get a super high signing bonus. Uh, But, you know, you look at it that way and it's obviously, it's unfortunate the way it kind of works out, just the way the business plays out. But the other side of it is just that the way that their draft went played out meant that they were geared towards knowing they needed some seniors to sign and they picked him out of the bunch and he's going to get into their system, assuming he signs, which I assume he's going to sign. And, you know, you never know, obviously baseball is very geared towards prospects and all that entails. And there's a lot of flyers, the guys you expect to do well, but there's always guys that come out of nowhere and surprise you, whether they turn into superstars or whether they just turn into a major league contributor that you didn't know was coming. And so at this point, he's been drafted. He can add himself third and all time Georgia State placement in the ninth round and continue to go from here. Looking forward to adding him to the uh, list of minor leaguers that I check up on as I as I alluded to earlier, as I watched too much baseball. I'm definitely happy for Griffin. Yeah, I you know, I'm super guilty of that, too, and I hate it. It reminds me because, like, uh, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. We know this by now. And, you know, he's no longer in minor league baseball. But I still think about Matt Rose sometimes. You know, he was uh, I don't think he was drafted by the Cubs. I think he signed as a undrafted free agent. And then he was in that uh, just a really bad trade for the Cubs. But, you know, I still think about Matt Rose sometimes and some of the other guys I've seen come through from Georgia State. So it is it is really cool. And I think as the Panthers baseball team gets better, we're going to want to see more and more of Panthers being guys in the minor leagues. You know, I can't necessarily sit here and say definitively, all right, this guy's going to be a top five prospect in baseball at some point in time. No, but the whole point of baseball sometimes is just get a guy in a minor league system, get him, get a guy in an organization and just kind of see where he kind of takes off. And, you know, you could have a decent major leaguer from there. And, you know, the last podcast we, we did, you know, we were talking to those fellows from old dominion and, you know, there were so many guys that they were just listing off. I was like, okay, he went to Old Dominion. He went to Old Dominion. He went to Old Dominion. And, you know, yes, Old Dominion can lay claim to a guy like Justin Verlander. But, you know, it's about getting in the PJ Higgins of the world and, you know, just kind of letting them blossom and develop. So, you know, I want to obviously give my personal congratulations to Griffin Cheney. And, you know, hope, hopefully this is a nice, nice run that you know Strumdahl goes on where he's just Georgia State is just pumping out draft picks high low you know they're all making it to the majors screw it yeah and I think the number was seven of the 14 Sunbelt teams had a draftee and you know I think that number trouble higher in most old years where like David said it, it's 20 rounds now it used to be 40 rounds and so there were a lot more of those draft picks teams could use to sign guys and it's not the case anymore and so you know seven to 14 like they were one of those half of the league that had someone drafted so definitely not just a oh yeah of course they got someone drafted i think the number of picks means it's more possible just by sheer numbers than when you look at something like the nfl draft or you look at especially the nba draft Um, but still an accomplishment for the program nonetheless and you know, the other news from that, Christian Jackson, the commit to Georgia State, who was drafted by the Braves. Um, initially, I will be honest and say I didn't view it as a super likelihood. Um, only 22 of the 30 teams 
in last year's 19th round signed the picks that they drafted. It is especially in the old system where there were 40 rounds, you would have a lot of courtesy picks where it's guys they liked but knew they were going to college or, you know, guys that an area scout scouted and said, hey, I want you to draft this guy just so they could say they scouted him. And uh, so I thought there was a chance it was something like that. Just the later rounds are where teams maybe go for a guy that's lower signability and see what happens. Uh, but the most broke of the draft pick, you know, you have Dana Brown who runs the Braves draft room saying they feel good about signing him, even though he's a high school kid taken late. That's the quote from Dana Brown. They said they plan on signing all 20 to their draft picks. And so as of now, this all plays out over the next 72 hours from when the draft ended earlier on today on Tuesday. And so by, next podcast we'll know what happens um it seems like he's probably going to sign and it's going to be a loss because if someone you know an organization like the braves wants a guy obviously you found someone that was good but the reality is is this can happen any year to any college program um it's obviously a good thing for christian jackson to be able to start his professional career if that's what he so chooses to do and you know honestly just losing one guy in this way isn't really that detrimental you can find a way to move that scholarship around uh I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember at least one or two years when Coach Frady was still the coach where Georgia State got a little bit more just taken apart their signing class by having guys get drafted and sign. And so ultimately, it's a good thing for the player, and it's something that you can kind of skirt as the program just to have the one guy sign and shows you're looking in the right direction, if nothing else. So we did have a pair of listener questions for you this week. Uh, Start off with Sam, who asks, now that the Convocation Center is almost done, can we expect an update on the baseball and softball complex soon? And also, how much do you think that facility is going to impact state and the new, more competitive landscape of Fun Belt Baseball? So I'll go ahead and uh, start off by saying we don't have any official word from the school on a timeline for anything, but... I mean, obviously, Sam, you have seen these because I know how active you are, but there's renderings and there's some sort of a plan, TM, on getting uh, baseball and softball in that location that everyone has been uh, expecting it to go into. But uh, as of now, we have not heard any official word from the school about uh, whenever that is happening. Officially, for at least the latest public word that we have gotten uh, when Charlie Cobb went on the Panther Insider podcast with. Voice the Panther, Dave Cohen. Uh, the thing that he said in the podcast there with Dave, uh, the quote on the baseball softball complex was, at the end of the day, we've got most of our funding questions answered initially. We've got some due diligence to do on the site. And he goes on to say, we need to make sure we're doing it in a respectful manner. And some of that's to do with the Hank Aaron monument that's there and just also logistically that it's on the site of Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And so there's stuff to work through as far as that goes. But certainly we're pushing is what he ended with. Uh, uh, as for, and uh, yeah, I think there was no chance at all there was going to be any kind of crossing of streams where the Convocation Center was priority one. That was going to be what got over the line before any other project got going. And now we're almost to that point. And, you know, I don't really know what, We've got most of our funding questions answered initially means uh, that's not a particularly informative answer, except to say that it sounds like it's a more positive direction than maybe what I was expecting based on just the vibe in the year before that and leading up to that interview, listening to that. I It took me listening to that as kind of progress, even if it wasn't 
so much of a concrete answer on anything. And so I would hope news sometime soon. Um, obviously, I think they're only going to say something once they know they have it all fleshed out. And I still am not necessarily anticipating it in like the next two years, say, but I'm happy to be surprised on that regard. Okay, thanks, Brady. Um, I'll take the second part of that. Uh, you know, the impact on state as far as the Sun Belt, comp- excuse me, the Fun Belt competitive landscape. I mean, it's going to help Georgia State. Like that. I mean, that is the reality of it. You see, kind of the things that have changed for the Panther football team, getting their own facilities, no longer, you know, kind of being in the shadow of another Atlanta sports team. You know, you see the direction that the school is kind of in when they've given a head coach and kind of allowed him to kind of be himself and kind of run the ship that he wants here. And, you know, we're currently in the best period of Georgia State football that this program has ever had. And, you know, I can't sit here definitively today and say when the new baseball field softball complex is built in 2025, for example, that is going to be like the 2017, 2019, we'll just skip over 2018 Panther football team. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, but what I am going to tell you is when guys are in a position where they feel more comfortable when recruits coming in can see, okay, Georgia state is investing in baseball. They're, trying and attempting to meet other Sunbelt programs in baseball, it's going to impact the recruiting ability. It's going to impact the amount of guys who, you know, kind of stay and stay for longer periods of time. And, you know, you look good, you feel good, you play good. So, you know, I think that is going to definitely have an impact on Georgia State. You know, maybe maybe it's not going to be like the 2016 Coastal Carolina Chanticleers and, you know, winning the College Baseball World Series, but it could be. You know, it's this isn't college football where it's like there's a couple of schools from a couple of conferences who are going to be in the conversation. It truthfully can be anybody. And like, you know, Brady and I talked about all year this year without those facilities, this team took steps for steps and strides forward. So with those facilities, I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. This, though, everything David said is true, but I, I think it's not the full picture because the other part of it is just like the progression of the fan base has to join to where they're going to all these games especially these weekend series in the new stadium with these other rabid sunbelt fan bases if they're not taking road trips they're showing when georgia state goes to their home part what it's like and uh baseball maybe it's a chicken egg thing because they've had a lot of success um there's a lot to lean on there but you know it isn't that southern miss has a baseball complex that can have 4,000 people show up there. It's that they have 4,000 people show up there and fill it out and make it such an environment as it is. And so I think that you weren't ever going to get there with the complex of Panthersville, much as they've tried to make the most of it for as long as they have, but it's no guarantee. Like that's the other part is that when it does come, it's got to be the field of dream moments where you build it and people do um, continue to add to the Georgia State just momentum in the Sun Belt, which is, you know, they're going to need every fan there is because every year is going to be a slog in the Sun Belt Baseball League as it currently is presented. There's going to be a lot of tough outs. All right. And certainly, last but not least, uh, Jeremy asks, which football opponent are you looking forward to facing based on A, on-field play, and B, the great people you've met from there either on your show or in travel? So, gentlemen, take it away. 
for me as a showman, obviously. And so I appreciate him also getting the plug in for the interviews. He knows that media game. Glad he was able to help us out, even though I got the uh, plug in myself earlier in the episode. For sure. Thank you for the question and for that plug there, Jeremy. That's that's a tough, tough question. Um, Do I have to pick one? Can I pick multiple? Okay, I'll pick one. I'll pick one. I think, and you know, it won't even necessarily be about fan atmosphere. More so, I think just this is a good test for Georgia State from a peer perspective. I think the answer for me, it's got to be Marshall. And it kind of sucks that it's at the end of the season. Um, So there's, you know, there's a ton of implications. I mean, that could truthfully you know, in an ideal situation for both of these two schools, that is your de facto Sunbelt Eastern Conference Division championship game, if, you know, that makes sense. Um, but, you know, I think Marshall has been around the Sunbelt a lot recently. You know, they've been uh, one of the better teams in Conference USA. I think last year they took like a slight step back. I believe they won a division in 2020. Um but, you know, that's a school that I think kind of mirrors Georgia State a little bit in, you know, kind of what they do, you know, when it comes to running the ball and just what they do in terms of their position in their conference. You know, Georgia State has never been at the top of the mountain. I think before 2020, Marshall kind of had been a while for them as well. And so I'm really curious to see kind of where that bar is for Georgia State. Um, and, you know, it's going to be the last weekend of the season, obviously. And so obviously I hope Georgia state is long past bowl eligible, long past, you know, East division crown. And like that game is just for, you know, peanuts, but I, I I'm really looking forward to that game. And especially because in year one, it's going to be on the road. So it's going to be really important for Georgia state and how they finish it. So that's, that's my answer. I'm surprised actually. Uh, when I had the question in my mind, I thought there was a chance we were both going to give the answer and you different one means. So in my hunch, but, uh, for a few reasons, my answer is Old Dominion. Uh, the first of which is, you know, I got to give credit to the Monarchists pod again for doing an incredible sell job on Norfolk. So whenever the teams play in Norfolk, I've now got a, you know, a real interest in discovering what they laid out for us. But more beyond that, there's an existing basketball relationship there between the schools where the fans remember each other when they've played in the last decade in men's basketball. They used to be conference mates in the Colonial. And so there's some history there that doesn't exist for Georgia State with many schools that haven't shared a conference with them, but they don't have with the other coming in. I mean, the James Madison CAA, it didn't really translate in the same way as Old Dominion just because out of conference didn't continue. But there's that part of it. And I think that it's a chance for Georgia State to get a kind of natural rival just with how they play well in basketball. They both value basketball. And so that's going to be something that matters and might bleed into other sports. But just on a pure football thing as well, I think it's fair to say that both Old Dominion and Georgia State look at each other when they look at the and they consider that Marshall has been at some of the heights that you were talking about. And that App State owns the Sun Belt East until someone knocks them off their crown. I think it's a game that both of them kind of have scheduled is like, we have to win this game if we want to achieve our goals. And so when this year comes around and even into future years as well, I think it's going to be kind of a, dyna- a dynamic where there's going to be some urgency to win this game because from the fans, at least because it's going to be one they look at and go, well, you know, app 
is going to be hard to beat any given year. Marshall might be hard to beat. You know, the Sun Belt East is just going to be a, a bloodbath. And this might be a game that, especially when each of the team is hosting it, it's going to be one they've got to be like, if we want to be at the upper part of the East Division, we've got to win this one. And so I think it could be to some just, you know, uh, inspired fan-based performances, I guess, for lack of a better word. I think there could be some juice to the games from the fans and then I think from the players as well. Well, I just wanted to add real quick before we're out of here, completely ignoring the question, period, point blank. I think I'm most excited just for the chaos factor of James Madison coming up from the FCS and not really having that much of a uh, comparison to most of these FBS teams that they're going to be playing year in and year out now. So I think that's going to be really fun to watch. And especially uh, since they're going to be our basketball opener, there could be a, a lot of fun for that as well. But thank you, Sam. Thank you, Jeremy, for your questions. We always, always love talking about things that you guys want to discuss on the show. So always feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, uh, Snail Mail Carrier Pigeon, however you uh, choose to communicate with people. And we will do our best to get your questions answered. So uh, before we get you out of here, we did want to just bring up that uh, football is uh, now approaching the Sunbelt Media Days just around the corner in New Orleans, set to take place on July 26th and 27th. Student athletes attending have been announced, and center Malik Sumter and linebacker Blake Carroll will join head coach Sean Elliott in representing Georgia State. So we will keep you abreast of all the developments and notes and quotes regarding that. But aside from that, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks so much for listening to the Thursday Night Podcast, and we will catch you in the next episode with more Georgia State sports news and updates. See ya!